Okay, welcome back to Cloud Conversations. This is episode 21. I'm Peter Rising, and as ever on Cloud, Rue and Pete, Cloud Conversations with Rue and Pete, get the name of the show right. I'm joined by my fabulous co-host, Rue Campbell. How are you today, Rue? Yeah, yeah, not bad, mate. Not bad. It's been a, a insanely busy week, but uh, that mm. kind of just summarizes what life in our little Microsoft 365 bubble is like just now. The pace is just really picking up. Uh finding that as folks are moving out of lockdown, going back to business as usual, uh, things are just getting busier and busier. You know, a lot of the business decisions that were being held off are now people are starting to, to get into them. Now they've got some cash coming in. Uh, but anyway, that's enough of the boring stuff out of the way. I've got the, the pleasure of introducing uh, this episode's guest, Mr. Paul Tozer. Uh, Paul's a good old friend of myself and your uh, YouTube, obviously, you know, kind of going back to uh, really the early days of my consulting career. Uh, Paul was kind of right there at the beginning of it as we both entered a company at around the same time. But anyway, so Paul is a cloud solutions architect focusing on Azure. Uh, and in my brain, he's the go-to guy for anything to do with uh, VDI in the Microsoft cloud. So Paul, thanks for joining us. And how are you? Yeah, not too bad. Thanks for having me on the show. Uh, I don't feel worthy to be on it, but, you know, it's, it's great to be on, uh, you know, enjoying some stuff. You'll yeah. fit right in because everybody says that. Nobody thinks yeah. they deserve yeah. to be here, so you're in good yeah. company. We don't just feel we, we deserve, deserve to be doing it, so <laughs> don't worry about that. We just have yeah. a, a jolly good chat about things. <laughs> awesome. Absolutely. Yeah, it's one of those things. That it never goes away, this idea that, because the word expert gets thrown around so much, right? I can't remember if I introduced you as a VDI expert or whatever, but uh, it's a it's a word that I always shy away with because it sets such a scary precedent. You know, you're the expert in this, therefore, if I throw you a question, you have to be able to answer it, right? Yeah, absolutely. Uh, yeah, yeah, it scares <laughs> you me. Away. Get a lot of that. Yeah, there were always like the guru or the expert. Yeah. You always get introduced as that, you know, by you know, by your sales guys or that, and you kind of set yourself up for a fall. But it's. <laughs> exactly. it's it, you know, you you can't ever be asked to be as good as you can possibly get in that area. Um, but you're, you're never going to know everything. You know, it's, it, it's especially on a fast pace. You know, kind of technology such as as your virtual desktop and you know Windows three six five and you know Intune. Yeah, there's so many different areas that gets touched into. You kind of like you you can't know everything, and it's yeah, it's impossible to do that. But yeah. yeah, but you're expected to. You should do. That's that's, that's yeah. yeah. You, 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 <laughs> you can tell it's... I've just been watching the IT crowd. I've just been watching the IT crowd <laughs> on, on, on Netflix for the probably the 17 millionth time. Have you tried turning it off and on again? Yeah, I was going to say, can you do that in the cloud? You know, <laughs> and deallocate yeah. and, and start VM is probably as good as you're going to no. get, but. It doesn't have the same ring to it, does it? You know, have you tried <laughs> not, not. deallocating and reallocating it? <laughs> Confession time, though. I've never really watched the IT crowd or the what? crowd. Or whatever. Yeah, I don't know. Just never. I don't know why it just never yeah, yeah. crossed how about my you, uh, viewing. Yeah, yeah I, I loved it back in the day. Uh, I don't think yeah, I've yeah. seen it in reruns, but yeah, mm. back in the day it was. 
it was yeah it, it was quite funny because it kind of honed through quite a lot about like as a network guy in the dungeon and stuff like that <laughs> um but yeah it's it's great that sort of oh, stuff. such a good show if, if you got netflix it's on there highly recommend you check it out mate it's um no, maybe it's, to go back to it. it's yeah. top stuff top how, stuff how long ago was it because it's probably venturing into that kind of classic <clears throat> territory right because it it's is obviously not, you're not going back to it's not the 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 faulty towers era of stuff, but it is. It's got to be like what a couple of decades early two now? early two thousands, I think, something like that. Yeah, it, it goes so quick. I, you know, what I think is, oh, you know, it's only five years ago. It's like fifteen, twenty years ago. So you kind yeah. of like go. But I've just been. Yep. I've just been watching it through on my laptop, just opposite side of the room to my wife, and uh, I, I've just been as the as the acronym goes, I've been ruffling. <laughs> rolling on the floor laughing right <laughs> oh, <my laughs> randomly um at, at, at this show it's it just it's just so funny so i could probably yeah. just go and watch it again now really really oh. funny <laughs> you get the finger out and watch it did it have a long run because obviously a lot of these classics they kind of uh they came out with a bang and then disappeared after like mm. one or two seasons i had four series and then a final one episode finale um which was not that I say not that long ago. It was 2013, which to me seems like yesterday, but it's like eight, eight or so years ago now, isn't it? So, <laughs> yeah, that is scary. It's like I just in the back of my mind, I think of like you know Windows Server 2008 R2 only just coming out. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's definitely end of life that one. Yeah, yeah, mm. sure. Is. Uh, so I guess you know, let's just uh, let's get into the the fun stuff, if I dare say it. That'll probably scare off a few folks, but. Obviously, the big news this month is that uh, Windows 365 became generally available. Uh, I guess where I'd kind of like to start talking to you about that is my background being starting off my career in internal IT within the small to medium-sized business space, and we never really had that requirement for VDI. So I guess the first thing that comes to mind is when are the appropriate use cases that someone should be looking into something like Windows 365 or AVD or WVD? Because I see I see security being thrown in there a lot as a reason. Uh, but at the same time, in the back of my mind, I'm also thinking, well, if the host PC that I'm accessing VDI on isn't secure, how can that still be secure? So I'm just curious, when do you kind of steer folks in that direction or away from it? So, I mean, I worked with... I used to work with a lot of legal customers who who had what was case management systems. So they're kind of all their records and everything went on to these case management systems. And, and latency was a massive problem. So as people started to migrate their workloads, latency became a real big problem, um, which is where the, the VDI kind of, you know, Azure Virtual Desktop or what, what I used to do was Citrix in the cloud um, came into their own because you're you're using a machine effectively next to the data whereas if you're using a vpn and going and, and connecting in that way you know latency really does um, cause issues and especially you know with case management systems that that were that they were designed back 80s 90s where you know none of this was ever thought of um so right. you know that's that's where you, you see and also from compliance point of view so if you don't want users on their desktops being able to take data out of a system you know that's where that 
virtual desktop comes into because you can lock it down you know things like don't access the keyboard uh, sorry don't access the clipboard don't access camera drives etc etc so it's like a contained environment um and that's that's where a lot of you know people kind of see that use case um for 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 virtual desktop environments that makes a lot of sense especially the latency piece because Mm -hmm. i guess as you're seeing folks make that move to the cloud you know folks talk about it and saying well you shouldn't just lift and shift you should draw back and use you know platform as a service and software as a service where possible to replace stuff so that that latency because you're working with internet first solutions it doesn't matter but my guess is that's not the real world right and you are going to have cases where we're lifting and shifting infrastructure into azure infrastructure and therefore we need to reduce that latency is that the kinds of reasons that yeah, I mean, absolutely. I mean, you, you want to go far away from virtual machines as absolute possible, you know, to the kind of SaaS web-based model that you don't really need anything. It's all kind of asynchronous connections. So, you know, internet doesn't really matter. But legacy systems, a lot of a lot of businesses do have a lot of legacy systems that mm. you kind of, you need to be able to use them and also use them until... You get something else and obviously when covid came along there was a massive need for people to get what they've got and get up and running and that that's that's a big driver um in you know and now in the hybrid hybrid world we still see that you know that people are going to change their systems overnight so they're going to need something that will give them almost like a halfway house until Mm. they go to that SaaS model if 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 they if you've got the appetite for it, yeah. No, that that's a good point. And I guess when when COVID hit, and you've seen the sudden demand for you know cloud based VDI and things like that, is that typically from customers that had an on prem VDI, or is this going to be brand new to them? Um, it was a, it was a bit of a mixture, really. I mean, before COVID hit, there was that move to the hybrid hybrid world anyhow so you know people were starting to use um microsoft 365 a lot more um but you know as soon as that that pandemic hit the the people who needed to get up and running to run their businesses you know really required something to get them working and kind of what was the windows virtual desktop came at the right time because Mm. it, it it just not that long come onto the market and then you know, bang it hit and demand straight through the roof. Um, mm. Yeah, makes sense. And those um, deployments that you did in early pandemic times, Paul, are, are you finding that they were done in such a way that you're now having to go back to some of them? And maybe certainly in the compliance world, security and compliance world, deploying things like Teams, I found that let's just get it out there because we need it. Was, was there any mm. sort of parallel with WVD and where you're now going back now that the customers have got the time to, to do it properly. So so when actually I started deploying it, it was a, it was almost like a different system, really. So when mm. Windows Virtual Desktop first came out, it was PowerShell-based. So the old, what was the Windows Virtual Desktop, it's called Classic now, uh, was what was being deployed. So mm. it, everything was managed via PowerShell. So adding users was PowerShell. You couldn't add groups. Um, but to create the host pools, you had to do it with PowerShell. And then just over a year ago, I think it was June 
June last year. Um, that that kind of started to change to the ARM template, uh, the ARM method. And, you know, from there, that's changed. And it changes every month. So it's not just it's not just ones that were originally put in very first. Mm. There's some changes that, you know, you kind of have to, to make as, as as the service goes along, really, it's it, it it's it, it changes so fast that what was what you couldn't do before or mm. you wouldn't have done that method before actually you know is is possible. That must be quite frustrating for some customers in a sense that they've just put <laughs> out this latest and greatest piece of technology and then boom it's it's out, out of date already but that's nothing new with microsoft is it no yeah it's it's a moving goalpost but it's a lot of it is you know from customer demand so you know you you, you look at things like even with the teams within the virtual desktop environment that's changed purely because of you know customers have really requested it what would have sat for 12 months you know is massively shrank their timeline and then they put it out and then there's a new feature that goes mm-hmm. so you know that it's 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 built by you know, it's driven by customer needs i guess again coming from a coming from a place of ignorance with almost all things vdi uh it, it's with 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 avd and wvd uh, that's not Microsoft's first venture into this ability to kind of do VDI and accessing it through RDP. What is the kind of legacy of that? Because before WVD, what was the alternative with regards to on-prem or even through Azure? Yeah, so, so when it first, you know, when you first started doing it, it was RDS was your, your, your go-to, really. That was that was your, even if you were on-prem or in Azure, that was kind of it. Or if you went third party, Citrix or Horizon Cloud or one of right. the others that kind of built on top of what was RDS. Um, then Microsoft kind of back in 2017, early 2018, they actually they looked at refactoring all of these services. And it was it was going to be called uh, RDMI, uh, which is Remote Desktop Modern Infrastructure. So actually, okay. I went to a, a tech community show, uh, and Freak Burson was doing a, a kind of a, a, a almost like a ten minute in the corner on what was RDMI, and he was showing you know it's effectively the web interface, the gateway, and the broker was going to be made into app services, and then you would deploy RDS that way, and it, right. it went into private people. I tried to get on it. And it went very quiet. And uh, Microsoft obviously, you know, kind of got feedback from the uh, the community and said, you know, Microsoft, you really should be providing a proper hmm. VDI solution. And that's kind of where Windows Virtual Desktop was born, really. And uh, at the time, there was the, the demand for Office 365, you know, Exchange Online and... Um, OneDrive came into its own, and uh, and the RDS, which was server based, wasn't really fit for purpose. So mm-hmm. if you if you were deploying um, systems mm-hmm. on prem or in Azure, you would have either done it as RDS, which is server based, pretending to be a desktop, 
right? Or Windows 10 dedicated single session, which was the traditional VDI. So if you look at VDI, you're kind of, you're effectively Windows 10 single session machines, lots of them. Uh, but they're kind of, Microsoft, you know, they, they went back to drawing board and actually came up with that Windows 10 multi-session uh, right. in Azure. And that was, hmm. that was a key driver then. So that came part of that Windows Virtual Desktop. So you had the Windows Virtual Desktop service, which Microsoft provide, which is the broker, the gateway, and the web interface. And then you've got that Windows 10 multi-session machine. And actually also they, at the same time, they, they, they acquired FS Logics. Oh, it yeah, all kind yeah. of came together as this mm. Windows Virtual Desktop. And that's what you kind of see now is that Windows mm. Virtual Desktop, when they, when they talk about it, it's actually like the three different areas. And if you look mm. at Citrix and um, mm. Horizon, if they, they build on Windows Virtual Desktop, they're actually building on the, the mm. Windows 10 multi-session. So for the, FS Logics. so the benefit of people who may not know, what, what is FS Logics <laughs> and what does that do? Including so me. <laughs> yeah, so FS Logics is is um, a system for doing profiles. So if you if you worked really old times in RDS, you used to have roaming profiles, which when you logged on, copy all your your profile down. And when you logged off, copy it all back up. Now, as your profile got bigger, log on times slowed down and down, and it's like big, almost became unusable. And you used to have to obviously clear out profiles. Hmm. Um, Microsoft had their own solution as well as third parties had their own solution which was so effectively you get a virtual hard disk you get your profile and it gets attached when you log on so Microsoft had it and it was um, I can't remember what even the system is but it wasn't fit for purpose (laughs) Citrix had Citrix profile management Hmm. but FS Logic had it, and they also had the ability to do things like PST, uh, sorry, OST um, indexing, and that's that's a big problem when you're working with Exchange Online. Is you need to be in cache mode, hmm. whereas that kind of goes against the kind of RDS where you want to be in online mode. Yeah. So you know you, when you're starting to cache. Uh, emails and searching on them, but that didn't work either. So that's why the Microsoft one fell by the, the wayside. <laughs> and FS Logics kind of brought all that together mm. and it was a really nice system. And they almost give it for free now. So it's, if you've got an RDS cal mm. or if you've got a, a Windows 10 multi, uh, Windows 10 Enterprise, it's, it's, it's yours really. So, you know, awesome. anyone's using it. So Cal's was something I was going to ask about. Actually, I'm glad you brought that up because in the in the old RDS RDP days, licensing, well, as it always is, is a bit of a dark art. It's hard to understand and be sure that you license correctly. Do you, do you think that's getting any easier in the world of AVD WVD, or is it still just as much a minefield as ever it was? Um, I mean, if you if you if you want to use the service, it's Windows 10 Enterprise, and how you get that. It depends on your your licensing. So if you've got Windows 10 Enterprise on its own standalone, yes, or VDA, yes. But if you've got Microsoft 365, E3, if you're in education, A3, uh, then there's F3 also for frontline workers. Mm-hmm. That also gives you Windows 10 Enterprise. 
and there's obviously that quirky one that's the uh, I mean the Microsoft 365 Business Premium, which also yeah. gives you the ability yeah. to use uh, Win uh, Azure Virtual Desktop. Yeah, cool. Just so. thinking, one of the things you mentioned earlier there was that one of the key differentiators between historic approaches to it and using AVD is the concept of Windows 10 uh, multi-session. Uh, so I guess just to kind of understand that more fully, why why would I be interested in multi-session? Uh, is it so that I have less VMs running and folks can share the same hardware? Is that is that the, the kind of the key value in that? Yeah, absolutely. So if you're running VMs in Azure, you you, you want to really fully utilize those because you you pay for the compute costs. So right. you don't want wasted compute because it costs you money. So yeah. you know, effectively, you want to maximize the the users. Obviously, not to a point where you impact them, mm-hmm. but you know if you've got single session machines then there is some wasted you know, capacity yeah. in there that spread that over hundreds of users can be, you know, lots and lots of machines that really you wouldn't want to pay for. Mm. And obviously, you know, if you're working normal office hours, that, that demand grows at the beginning of the day and, you know, towards throughout the working day. And then in the evening, when demand shrinks, you just turn those machines off, have a minimum number of machines, same with weekends, you know, and you, you're only paying for the, the hardest that you use really that's, you know, on the, the machines that are there and then right. you're just paying for the capacity that you're kind of using at the time. Okay, that makes sense because it is one of the things and you see it across all Azure services, not just AVD, you see it with things like Sentinel or VMs, it's the because it's all charged kind of by resource usage by hour. So with AVD, if I'm, let's say I've got a process where uh, the core business hours are, I don't know, 8 a.m. till 7 p.m., does that mean there's provisions there to automatically kind of turn the knob down and mean that there will be less resource I'm paying for overnight? Yeah, you can utilize some of the Azure services to do that. So use Azure Automation and then schedule that with a logic app to kind of go in, mm. check how many users are connected, how much capacity is needed. It's it's not brilliant. You do have to tune it to your, yeah. your workload. Um, there are other systems that do it as a paid extra, um, but mm. there are, you know, built in, you can kind of download the, the, uh, the Azure automation PowerShell script and then schedule that with, um, logic apps it, it's it's quite simple to set up Microsoft make it quite easy now um, to, to do whereas 12 months ago it was a, a lot more difficult to do but now it's a couple of PowerShell commands right. download the scripts and it does pretty much it all for you uh, so I, I, I remember using I remember using uh, Azure Automation and I had a runbook in it where it would look at the tag of a virtual machine and then that tag would have the, the hours that I wanted <clears> it to be online and Ooh. then it would check the tag and then do all that. But it sounds like it's a bit more, is it more mature now insofar as Microsoft will provide? Because uh, this was a kind of third-party run book that I just found on the internet and <laughs> took it for a spin, copy and paste it, and it worked. Uh, it, is it more built in now, I guess, insofar as helping folks reduce their usage? 
Yeah, absolutely. It's in it's in the documentation. So if you go to the okay, uh, cool. the ABD docs, there mm. is that script: how to install it, how to set it up, and so yeah, they they maintain that script um, and they do they do update it as well when if there's bugs. Um, mm. So you know, it is a Microsoft produced script mm. that okay. Yeah. That's one thing I like across all of Microsoft's technologies. Actually, the docs.com content is really, yeah, it's really good. great. It's uh, it's come a long way in the last few years, and it's just it's oh. it's it's spot. It's not always accurate. Um, <laughs> if 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 our good friend Tony Redmond was listening, he would want me, he would he would task me to point that out. <laughs> so you, do, you so you do have to be careful sometimes uh, what you what you repeat in blogs and and such like. But uh, but on the whole, it's it's absolutely brilliant. Yeah, yeah, the, the the Azure Virtual Desktop um, docs are probably one of the best I've, I've ever seen. Um, mm. There's so much, so for a wealth of information now, um, and then there's best practices, there's architectural guidelines on how to do, you know, your FS logic stuff, mm-hmm. your, your scaling, your DR, all that sort of stuff. There's fantastic documents, and yes, there, there are some, always some that you think, oh, I don't think that's right, and. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> five docs uh and i'll put a question in there to say i don't think that's quite right there but mm. <laughs> yeah um but that, that i guess that kind of bridges on nicely then to windows 365 uh it's not something i've had a chance to play about with much but as far as hype goes you know there's a lot of buzz around it right uh even and i'm even seeing that filter across to the kind of mainstream media i think it was was it cnbc i seen you know, even, you know, they were talking about it, the kind of 24-hour news channels, albeit they're business-focused. So I guess what, uh, if I'm an AVD user at the minute, or if I'm just someone that's interested in should I be using VDI, uh, how do I decide which to go ahead with? Hmm. So for Windows 365, that is a SaaS service, so it's really simple to set up. Um, there's actually two flavors of Windows 365. There's a Windows 365 business and a Windows 365 enterprise. Okay. So the business is is very much a kind of cloud PC. You you buy your, your cloud PC, you attach the license to the user, the user goes to the portal, and effectively they've got a Windows 10 machine that almost like buying, you know, a surface or anything like that. You buy you buy the size of the machine mm. as an office or a Microsoft 365 license. So you just attach it to the user, user goes in, bang, off you go. Um, downside of that is if you want to connect to on-prem resources, that it's not built in for, for that sort of. Uh, right. So there are some limitations. It's it's Azure AD joined, so you, you do get some management of, of that for Azure AD, um, but it's it's almost more limited. But actually, if you if you you know, you just want to provide them a PC in the cloud for people like contractors or for mm. party suppliers. You know, you want to get them onto systems that you use. Then, then that's you know fantastic. If you're born in the cloud and everything mm. is SaaS based, then you know that's that's a fantastic system. But the business is like the Microsoft Three Six Five business. That's three hundred seats maximum. Um, yeah. Whereas the enterprise is slightly different that's they're actually hybrid azure ad joined so they're joined to a a domain and azure ad 
and you can link it to a um, an Azure VNet, so a virtual network. And then if you will need to connect to on-premise network, you can either use Express Route or a VPN right. gateway. Um, but that, yeah, that's that's the kind of two flavors. Mm-hmm. Uh, but rapid, rapidly to 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 turn on and sell. But they are single session machines, so you don't okay. get that benefit of the scaling. Mm-hmm. Um, but you get that ease of provision. So actually, if you're doing, if you want to do a POC for you know Azure Virtual Desktop, <clears> then. <throat> Windows 365 is that fantastic POC because <laughs> the, the delivery yeah. method is the same. So they do mm. use your virtual desktop service to deliver the the um, the cloud PCs to to users. So mm. yeah, okay, so it's just like a kind of a layer of abstraction, I guess, on top of what is fundamentally AVD single session in the background. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. The, the with the enterprise the the network cards are attached into your virtual network but you've got all that azure side that you want to kind of connect to and yeah i mean it's mm-hmm. it's purely managed completely by microsoft so it's a microsoft managed subscription mm-hmm. um i mean with the with the business version it's completely managed by microsoft you don't you don't have anything to manage you just give it yeah. a user off you go you know that's mm-hmm. and what windows 365 that's a that's a monthly subscription cost compared to AVD, which is by consumption. So is yeah. there a, I, I mean, it probably differs and it's probably not a simple question to answer, but there must be a kind of tipping point at which one is maybe more cost effective than the other. There, there is. And um, actually there's been a, a good comparison done by a third party called Nerdia. You may or may not have heard. They, they yeah. specialize in doing um, like the management layer, adding value to, AVD, uh, but they've they've done some fantastic comparisons of, you know, cost of how much a clay PC would be compared to how much it would be if you start doing things like scaling or do reserved instances, um, and it is quite it's quite interesting, really. I mean, obviously, if you've got a single session machine, you're gonna you if you've got lots of them, you know, that benefit of scale. Mm isn't as your virtual desktop really yeah but if, and then but you've then you've got the cost of setting it up running it maintaining it so it's kind mm. of there are use cases for both but yeah yeah mm. and that makes so sense when um when you say that windows this is interesting to me that you say windows 365 would be a good poc for for avd it's early days nobody will have had the time to do this yet do you foresee that transition if a business needed to do that it would be simple to say actually Windows 365, not for us. We need to go AVD. Yeah, I mean, if you've got the mm. the the effective the landing zone, the virtual network, mm. the kind of domain controllers, and the bit that you know you you require, then you've got pretty much what you'll need to start on mm. that um, as your virtual desktop journey. Obviously, there'll mm. there'll be extra bits that you'll want to do things like profile management. Uh, because there isn't any of that in Windows 365. Um, mm. You've got things like, you know, backup, side recovery if you want to do DR, which you don't have with Windows 365. And, you know, it's, 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 you're, you're looking at a more of a broader scale then as a, mm. as a system that, you know, is delivering desktops to your users. Yeah. 
like Rue, I've not tried Windows 365 just yet, but one of the things I'm really excited about when I do get to try it is that it's it's literally going to work on any device. I can use it on my Mac or yeah. potentially my iPad. So this is brilliant stuff, absolutely brilliant. Yeah, iOS, Android. Mm. Uh, there isn't one for Linux yet, um, right. but that's I think that's coming. Um, but there are third-party kind of um, thin clients that, have the client in there so if you use those thin clients they've got them but windows 10 iot even chromebooks mm. if you're mm. if you're using because they're android you know to get from the the store um i wouldn't use it on an iphone it's a bit small but <laughs> yeah <laughs> ipad absolutely you know. on a decent yeah. size ipad with a keyboard yeah yeah that's a good yeah. use case definitely yeah and what one of the things that's interesting to me that you you mentioned was the difference between the way business and enterprise handle the Azure AD join and the hybrid join. And I was aware of that distinction, but there's one thing interesting that you pointed out is that the enterprise, you're also associating it with a VNet. Therefore, you can yes. have a persistent VPN to your on-prem resources. So does that mean on the business one, I really only have line of sight to the internet and there's no way I'm getting SAM stuff? Is that right? Sorry, so again, I missed the last second. Yeah, sorry. I live in the middle of nowhere and I can see my internet's trying to punish me at the minute for it. <laughs> so I guess the, the question is, if I've uh, got business rather than enterprise, does that really mean that I'm only going to have line of sight to the internet and as far as accessing any apps that are on my, you know, my DMZ or my intranet, they're just going to be out of bounds? Is that right? Well, I mean, think of it as a standalone PC. Um you you know you there's there's nothing stopping you from using third party SSL VPNs or anything like that, sure. but it's done on a client level rather than on a a back end level. So gotcha. if you want if you want users to have complete access to on prem resources, you know mm. the enterprise is really where you want to go um, yep. because there's less for them to do and also less for you know setting up with the enterprise you can have. Images as well, so you can create your own image, put all your apps on, sysprep it, create your right, gallery, cool. um, and, and do all that. Whereas with a business, it's a it's a marketplace image, office, and that's about it really. Teams and you know, right. build it all in, but it is a marketplace image, and that's as that's as good as you're going to get. And so. Windows 365, it kind of lives in Endpoint Manager, doesn't it? So does that mean that you can, does that mean that all the devices are going to be enrolled in Intune and you can just push out apps, policy, all that kind of stuff as well? Yeah, yeah, absolutely. I mean, you know, Intune Endpoint Manager is kind of the way that it's all going towards. Mm. With Azure Virtual Desktop, when it first came out, most people were doing GPOs, you know, that sort of thing, because it, it, it didn't support... Uh, Intune didn't support multi-session machines. Um, that's that's starting to become more. There, there are some limitations around, you know, how you're targeting uh, policies. Um, but with with the hybrid, the, it, it, it's it's a, almost a mix, really, of you know where you're going to go. But they are, they're, yeah. they're, you, you know, you get you kind of take your choice, really, with them. Uh, but I do, you know, people always ask, you know, when can I get rid of my AD and mm. have Azure AD joined, mm. endpoint managed, and it's it is it is coming. 
Um, mm. He's coming for both AVD and for the Enterprise. Because yeah. yeah. I guess because you mentioned obviously the Enterprise that's going to need the hybrid join. Uh, if I'm a kind of cloud only organization and I don't have on prem AD, can <clears> I use and I'm going to butcher it? Can I use Azure Active Directory domain services or do I still need that physical? Because I'm aware that Azure Active Directory domain services isn't just on prem directory services in the cloud. There's some subtle differences there, right? Yeah, it is a bit quirky. Um, there, there are some kind of almost weird stuff that goes on you can't do. So you can't have machine. Uh, in there, so you can't do things like single sign on to right. Microsoft 365. Mm. Um, for for AVD, you, you can use it. It's a it is a good use case, but the bet the best way to do it is to do traditional domain and then um, do your your AD Connect. You know that's mm, that's gotcha. most most customers I work with use that there are limited use cases that people do use as your ad domain services mm -hmm. but yeah, yeah. It's, it is a difficult one really that it, it is it is a smaller use case because there's a lot of limitations that people don't quite like but yeah mm. one piece of technology stroke terminology that i heard a lot of in, in recent times is Microsoft always on VPN. Yeah. Where does that mm. fit into this picture? How, how would that get used in these scenarios? Uh, well, that's a, I mean, it's a client uh, service really. So, you know, it's mm. a Windows 10 feature. So mm. that you, you could use always on VPN to connect. It's whether you've got connectivity outbound over um, Ike V2 or SSTP, you know, it's effectively a Windows 10 machine, so yeah, yeah. You could push it down through Engine or something. I'm guessing, right? So, like, if you had that Azure AD join device, I'm just kind of thinking in the back of my head, you could push out always on VPN and therefore get your on-prem stuff. I guess. <laughs> thinking out loud here. Yeah, I haven't <laughs> done it myself, um, but yeah. I can't see it. there's an issue we're doing so. But yeah, yeah throwing out ideas, <laughs> different ways of doing things, but. Yeah. Um, one thing I'm interested in, I've always described, and you mentioned before Citrix and, and, and VMware Horizon. I've always thought of Citrix in particular as the as the Betamax to Microsoft's <laughs> VHS of RDP. How, how do you think the uh, the strides that Microsoft have made with WVD, AVD, Windows 365 will affect the Citrix story and what they're doing? It is a difficult one, but they do add value. It's mm. whether they add enough value for the cost that they they do um so if you're right. if you're doing things like you know if you don't if you don't want persistent machines and you want machine creation services or you've got an on-prem citrix or horizon and you want to kind of merge them together and use azure virtual desktop for kind of dr for your uh, on-prem you know that's where that's where they add quite a bit of value really so you know you kind of got that Citrix workspace where you can do SaaS apps and mm. your desktops right. and all that unified desktop. So they, they do add value. It's, mm. it's whether you, you add enough value to, to warrant the cost. And as especially there's, there's quite a few of the new players that are doing the management side of the AVD uh, on top of it. So people like Nerdio who, you know, do almost do most of what, you want 
and then you know if you if you if you don't need the kind of on-prem you know mm. if you're born in Azure virtual desktop mm. and you want a management layer that will kind of provision machines quickly do all your yeah. profile and all that sort of stuff then so these yeah, are your managed your msps your managed service providers yeah i mean yeah if you've got if you if you're managing multiple customers yeah they mm. they do that sort of thing as well um so yeah it's and the cost is the per seat um but right. whether you you know whether your your systems are big enough to to support or to warrant that need it depends on how big you are and what you need to, to do as a management layer mm. i always i always try and go native as much as possible mm, for sure yeah. it's when you start to go into the i want to do this or i want to do that and then the third parties are kind of niche players in that market yeah one thing that kind of jumped out to me when i was reading through the docs and seeing it on twitter with regards to the security of windows 365 is that by default, users are local admins, at least in the enterprise environment. And Microsoft said, well, this is great news because it means your users can go and install the apps they want, <laughs> which is kind of also not so great news uh, if you are mm. if you have any kind of common sense at all. I guess the, the question that that leads me on to is, in the back of my mind, that's a weak spot and they need to improve on that. What, are there any other kind of weak spots that you think within AVD or within Windows 365 that should be covered by Microsoft with first-party options rather than having to go to those third-party solutions. Um, I mean, a lot of the, a lot of the the, the questions around security. You, you know, that local admin. If your business, if your industry six five business, that's your users have to be. Otherwise, you can't install the apps. You know, there's no management really. Um, okay. But you, you, with the enterprise, you can kind of turn it off from from within Intune. Um, I mean, from Microsoft's point of view, I would always say conditional access is a, is a massive one. Um, mm. A lot of users get that as part of the Microsoft, Microsoft 365 bundle, mm. but really it's a necessity these days because username and password, it's, it's just not good enough, really. I mean, it doesn't matter how good your username and password is. I would yeah. say that, you know, MFA, conditional access, is is imperative really for, for for good security obviously once you're in the machine mm. security is not less of an, an issue but you know locking things down mm -hmm. as your virtual desktop you can do that as for good policies and completely yeah. amen to that my friend and uh identity is the new security perimeter in this modern workplace world really isn't it and you've got to put MFA on, just please do it. <laughs> At the very least, do MFA. Yes. <laughs> and decent endpoint security um, with, um, you know, getting rid of these kind of the crypto locker stuff. So make sure you've got something that supports really good um, anti-crypto. Yeah. Because, you know, that, that's... That's a big thing. If if you've got machines that are accessing the internet, you know you you kind of got to protect them there as well, because mm. you know they, you don't want them um, cryptoing on-prem company data if they're in the cloud. But that it's the same it's the same thing as on-prem. Really, it's not. There's no different if you're in the cloud <laughs> than, than when you're working on-prem. Really, the the kind of 
the user's normally the, the weakest link. Um, yeah, yeah, it's a good point. You know, cloud isn't just a magic wand that you wave at something and all of a sudden it's secure, right? We still need to take mm. into account all the practices that we've employed on-prem and apply them in the cloud. And it's a little bit different because an Azure AD joined device has less ability to kind of hop from device to device <laughs> like a, than an on-prem joined device. But you see a lot of the marketing that's thrown around there by the guys in Redmond, uh, all due respect to them. And it's a little bit too heavy on the marketing stuff, you know what I mean? Uh, just because it's in the cloud or it's a TPM thrown at it, that doesn't make it secure, right? There's a whole bunch mm. of other best practices you need to follow. Yeah, I mean, you, your things like your TPM stuff um, is, I saw the, the weakness on that Windows 365 article. And if you've got admin access to a machine, you know, getting access to to passwords isn't that difficult. Um, mm. You can do with Azure Virtual Desktop the, effectively what, what they are is Hyper-V VMs. So you've got the, almost the, the two types of VMs. So you've got the kind of classic ones, which what most um, Azure VMs are. And then you've got the ones which do the, the, um, the kind of secure boot and all that sort of stuff. There are, right. there are a few quirks and not, and it's not quite the same, but the generation one, generation two, you do have that generation two ability to, to do that in, um, mm. in Azure virtual desktop. So you kind of right. get around mm. those, those sort of issues, not to yeah. a fully extent with the TPM and that, but it's, yeah. Yeah. Could, it was one thing I wondered, cause obviously with gen one to gen two, and I have no idea how this is working. I'm just spitballing here. I guess it's in my head when I'm thinking that things such as BitLocker and disk encryption, they're going to be using that TPM. And if I'm in a virtualized environment, well, what happens when my VM is bouncing from hardware to hardware and the TPM's not yeah. falling with it? So I don't know how that works. Hopefully, BitLocker is slightly knows. different. Um, so that actually uses like Key Vault. Um, so okay. it's it's almost attaches that key. It's called, there's like BitLocker encryption key and uh, it's like key encryption keying. So there's a lot of Beck and Keck and, and they, they attach almost like a CD drive or a, a virtual and they have the key in there that comes from the, the key vault. Right. So that's, yeah. that's actually been around for quite a long time. You know, you, they are effectively uh, Azure VMs. So, you know, you, okay, you, gotcha. you, you've had that ability to encrypt machines. Um, but it's right. not quite the same as a hardware TPM. Mm. Gotcha. Um, so the kind of equivalent of the TPM securing the BitLocker uh, keys within Azure is, well, rather than losing a TPM, we're using Azure Key Vault to yeah. store and then transmit that decryption key. Yes. Yeah. Right. Okay. That makes a lot of sense. Cool Learn something new every day. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. T TPM always seems to cause issues. Uh, in, in various areas of Microsoft 365. I know in, in, it's been a while since I played with autopilot, but I know with hybrid Azure AD joined devices, it could cause issues with autopilot scenarios. So I don't know if it's come on yeah. since then, but it always seems to be the culprit though, doesn't it? Yeah. White yeah. glove as well. It can cause a lot of problems with to do with device mm. attestation and all that kind of stuff. Uh, white glove in general, my God. Stuff like that, yeah. It's like TPM yeah. 1.2 and TPM mm. 2. You know. yeah. Yeah, and of course, it, now it's mandatory, right? As of Windows 11, you mm -hmm. need that TPM2 or at least a virtualized version of it. 
uh, I'm actually in the middle of researching and writing an article for Practical 365 on it. And I don't think you can argue that there's quite a lot of benefits to TPM. Mm. But when I take a step back and I look at what are the daily and the most significant threats that the majority of customers are facing, TPM maybe not the most prioritized thing. You know, uh, customers would benefit a lot more if we disabled macros by default, you know, things like that, <laughs> rather than worrying about TPM. It's important, yeah. uh, but maybe slightly exaggerated. Yeah, mm. limiting, limiting ability to put things in there kind of temporary and run them mm. from there and, you know, just kind of locking things down from there. I mean, app lockers are perfect example <laughs> of other stuff. You know, that, the easy wins that TPM yeah. is probably harder. I mean, a lot of, if totally you look agree. at a lot of on-prem uh, VDI, they probably don't have BitLocker enabled mm. VMs mm. and... Yeah, I mean, it's, it, it, it is a problem with virtualized environments. So, you know, if you can get access to the hypervisor, you can almost take that machine. If you were to domain controller, you take the database. Yep. If you've got rainbow tables, you can kind of extract all those stuff from, from there. So it, 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 it is an issue. Um, I'm not sure if it's as much of an issue as people kind of make out from these hyperscale um, <laughs> but you do get. I think there is. There's, there's an actual SKU that you can use with like a trusted, like a trust trusted computer model that's okay. uh, a VM type, so the combat right. as well. So mm. okay, yeah. And to be fair, I think when they tried uh, Windows 10 S mode, uh, that was kind of promising. You know, it was as far as have to come from the App Store. It was really using application control in the background to I guess benefit from that security philosophy that platforms like iOS have where the store is a trusted place and therefore there's just some inherent security that it's going through some auditing but the Microsoft store mm. at least in Windows 10 and 8 it didn't pick up it wasn't treated mm. like it should have been treated Windows 11 store that looks a lot more promising insofar as there's more mm -hmm. incentives for vendors to use it uh and you don't have to stick to, you know, metro apps, as they were once called, right? You can upload yeah. it into Windows 11 Store. If they'd done that right from the get-go, we might still have a Windows phone system rather than those devices now being on Android. But, um, yeah. I mean, that's a whole other story, though. And I think Oof. the partnership with Android has been a... Overall, it's been a really good move for Microsoft, I think. Yeah, it, I seen a quote kicking about Twitter the other day, and it was saying... Uh, it was Satya at the time quoted saying, uh, if the OEMs don't make Windows phones, we'll just make them ourselves. Uh, mm. but obviously, plans changed. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> because uh, exactly. because uh, things are quite different now. When you it's look at um, it is a shame. It is a shame, definitely. Um, there's a lot of potential in that. But um, when you look at laptops, though, traditional clamshell laptops from your, your, your typical manufacturers, your Dells, your Lenovo's, your HP's, they're not really getting the message that Microsoft want the story to be told because Microsoft are putting out Surface Pros, Surface Laptops, et cetera, et cetera. The others are not really following suit. They're not going with the touch screens. They're not going with the hybrid devices. They're putting out laptops that still look like laptops that we've had for 20-odd years, maybe just a bit thinner yeah. <laughs> and faster. Well, in the Surface Book, that's one that's definitely not picked up, you know, the detachable mm. keyboards, you mm. know, with the external GPU. I haven't seen any 
OEMs develop anything like that. No. Uh, the Surface Pro, they've kind of had a stab at that. I know Dell do ones like that, but uh, to be fair to the Surface lineup, that is very premium stuff, right? Uh, mm. you know, you're talking in the four figures rather than the three figures. Uh, and for a yeah. cheapskate like me, <laughs> if I'm looking at my budget, I'm thinking £700 Dell laptop or £1,400 mm. Surface Pro with the same spec. Uh, and I'm cheap, so I'm going to go with the Dell. <laughs> yeah, That's and there is the argument that is, is Windows really a touchscreen platform anyway? Is it conducive to that? Some, most it people, is good when you've got it. No. It is good when you've got it, though. You know, it, it just comes mm. so naturally if you're scrolling through a document or something like that. Yeah. As I point my finger at the screen like this. But yeah, it's, you know, <laughs> it, just, it feels quite natural. But mm. uh, yeah. I had a couple of Surface Pros. I had a three and a four, and and you're right, they were good for that. But I wasn't bothered when I lost those devices and and went back to more traditional laptops, shall we say? But uh, anyway, before we stop talking about Windows 365, there's one final thing I absolutely must say about that: is that I am so glad that it's now a thing because I will no longer have to correct my family when they say to me, "My Windows 365 is not working." <laughs> that is not a thing. It is now. So thank God for that. <laughs> yeah, not, not the, the thing. Yeah, the uh, naming is always annoying, right? I feel like you're talking a different language to folks at times. And what's what's yeah. creepy is my uh, my wife, she'll be scrolling through Instagram now and she gets adverts for Microsoft 365. And it's like, well, that's a little bit creepy, but it's probably just because, yeah. because of me. You know what I mean? It's That AI advertising yeah. stuff, it is really scary. I'm sure they're listening... I'm sure people are listening <laughs> to our conversations, you know. It, we had family around not long since, a few weeks ago, and we were talking about a certain brand of coffee. We, we weren't even texting about it. We were just talking about it. And then literally 10 minutes later, we got an ad for it on the computer. It's like, what's all that about? Yeah. Scary. Yeah. <laughs> they always say that, you know, there's no listening. And I kind of believe that, but some of it is very creepy, you know, the, the coincidences of these advertisements. Uh yeah, but that said, my house is full of Alexas, so if they are listening <laughs> to me. <laughs> mm. uh, my house is not like that. I'm completely opposite. As as as, a, as somebody who works in tech, my own home is completely, to do with it. <laughs> completely the opposite. I've got I've got a few laptops and, and tablets and stuff, but I've not got any Alexas. I've not got any um, Internet of Things or controlling my lights, anything like that. I've just I'm just not motivated to do it for some reason and. But that's completely contrary to who I am as a as a person who embraces technology. Yeah, it, cer- it certainly makes shouting up to the kids a lot easier if you've got Alexas as well. <laughs> <laughs> I think I put too much insulation in our house. So it's just you, they don't hear you, so you know you kind of have to drop in on their room and kind of <laughs> or, or make an announcement for dinner time. Otherwise, they just yeah they're just sitting there and not 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 answer mm. at all. Um, but yeah, it is good for that. And yeah, there are some downsides. Um, but you kind of, if you look at, you know, if you're on your mobile phone and searching for something, you know, mm. I was looking for uh, making like a summer house and then all the adverts for summer houses or, you know, yeah. for, oh, off you go, you know, it's, yeah. it's all targeted, very targeted now. And, mm. and the worst is when you keep getting adverts for something that you don't need to keep getting adverts for. So, for example, you'll search for vacuum cleaner because you need a new vacuum mm. cleaner. And then for the next three months, it's like here's all these vacuum cleaners, and it's like, well, I've already bought one, so stop. Mm. <laughs> you know, mm. you don't need to keep nagging me. Uh, but yeah, so moving on from kind of 
VDI and all that kind of stuff. Uh, just kind of general questions about your IT career then, because I mean, uh, one of the things we, we talk about in the show a lot is how folk get started, how things have changed over time. Um, was IT always, has that always been your profession? Is it something that always interested you? And how did you, how did you kind of end up where you are just now? So, I mean, yeah, I mean, I was one of those kids in the 80s that had the Atari and kind of, I used to buy magazines that used to have the coding. So mm. when I was little, I used to do coding on an older 8-bit Atari and then obviously 16-bit. Um, and so I've always been kind of into IT. Um, I went to college. Um, and from there, um, <clears throat> there was a guy who was in my class who had a Saturday job in an, in a computer shop log in, you know, that maybe we can call them mom and dad computer shops, but the yeah. you know, fam, family business, um, IT shop. And so he was leaving to join a band. And he said, is anyone interested in kind of going working on a, a Saturday? And I thought, well, actually, you know, I could do with them, could do with the money. Um, mm. So I started doing that when I was 17 in a computer shop, building PCs, fixing PCs. And I kind of almost dropped into that. So at the end of my college course, um, I couldn't really afford to go to university because I had to kind of self-support myself. Um, so I I kind of just took the easy option of going in full-time job. And it kind of went from there, really. So I spent 10 years there doing, you know, various roles going up in the career workshop manager kind of you know building up from there um then i joined a managed service provider after that and then i kind of i joined a startup which my first love is is exchange so exchange online exchange was before exchange online actually i did hosted exchange okay so i joined a company who were then bought out by a which then became outsourcery. Um, so they they were they were kind of doing hosted exchange, hosted SharePoint, hosted lots of you know, Skype for business. Um, so I, I actually I, I kind of started there and did all their hosting and kind of did their exchange two thousand and seven hosted infrastructure. And I left there because it was it was very much a startup um, and it was very very it's a lot of hard work um because startups you know you kind of you, there's there's less staff but they got purchased but you know they've, they've kind of gone to the wall because the microsoft snowball and you kind of yeah. see that office yeah. research by so you know outsourcing no longer exists um but so i left there because my son was born uh, and i kind of cut took a bit more of a step back still doing exchange you know i was an exchange administrator for a corporate um and then the kind of you know the big recession 2008 hit they got really hit hard with um number of users they kind of almost halved their business um and then kind of it it got a bit like i was almost doing not enough to keep me busy because mm. once you've built an exchange environment and it's kind of running, it kind of, you know, kind of ticks along. Mm. But I like to be busy. So I went back into 
managed service provider kind of um, and then that specialized in legal so I was doing you know on-prem and VMware kind of Citrix all that sort of stuff and cloud was it was very in its infancy and because I specialized in legal the the at the time there was no Azure UK data centers so there was one in the right. office Northern Europe, uh, Western Europe, but none in the UK. So mm. I called James Ackrig. He used to work at Microsoft. He came to see us and he talked to us about private cloud. And I kind of got into the hosting and the cloud bit from the private cloud. So it was it was Azure Pack. It was actually built on System Center. So it actually looked like, oh. like Azure, but wasn't Azure. It was, it was almost the predecessor to Azure Stack. So right. it looks old. If you've ever, if you measure it's the ASM model. So it, it looked like service manager, right, or service management, something like that. Something like that. It's it was it was real classy. Yeah. It was built on that, and then as the UK data centers kind of came on board, a lot more customers started to use, especially Office three six five. And then there were some quirks about licensing with using Office 365. So we kind of made that business decision to go start doing mm -hmm. Azure. And that's, mm -hmm. you know, that's kind of where I've come. And then I've, I've, I came, you know, started where I am at the moment, which is Softcap. Um, and I joined just before the pandemic hit. <laughs> yeah. So, yeah, I started in March. And because I've done, I started you know, doing Windows Virtual Desktop beforehand. I was, you know, kind of always very busy. Mm. You know, I've been very busy ever since. Um, but, yeah, it's so that's my kind of career. Nice. 25 years in the kind of making. So, yeah, 25 years I've been doing it this year, I think. Good stuff. And what's the – It's a, I'll, I'll skip the, the easy question, which is, you know, and what's the biggest change? Because the change is constant, and it's kind of obvious what the biggest changes are. It's – all to do with cloud and everything. I guess uh, as far as what excites you about the future then, because you look at Azure, right, and it's kind of crazy. It's so big. There's so much to it. Uh, what's some stuff that you're interested in and that you might be aware of that is kind of, you know, and maybe in its early stages that you think might be exciting and useful going forward? Yeah, I mean, as you say, yeah, as just massive, really. Like, you kind of have to put your kind of flags in the sand to say, you know, this is what this is what I love, and this yeah. is one. The good thing about working with AVDs, it, it touches loads of different areas. So you've mm. got the kind of the <clears throat> Azure files and the networking and the kind of logic apps and and stuff like that. I mean, I I personally think hybrid is is still massive. Mm. Um, yeah, Azure sure. Arc is, I think, going to be a, a big one. Um, Sentinel's, you know, security is always massive as well. Sentinel seems to be a, a big kind of driver that people, you know, want to have that that central yeah. uh, scene. Sure. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I mean, using you know log analytics and stuff like that is is really key. Um, if you if you told me, sort of, twelve eighteen months ago, would have been writing like KQL queries, <laughs> I would say what the heck you want about. But you know, that's 
that seems to be massive really and you know mm. you see that from the security side as well as the kind of yeah. the Azure monitor even into the arc so you know those sort of areas i think hybrids always are microsoft used to say you know go to the cloud go to the cloud and now they're they've they've definitely changed their tune and now they're mm. definitely you know saying hybrid is is, mm. is definitely well there's too much business in it to ignore it right and i think that's a problem with a lot of the other public clouds like google and amazon is they're they're all in on cloud whereas microsoft have definitely got that niche of the hybrid environment right because they mm. understand that legacy of enterprise it that mm. at big scale as much as we say we want to go cloud first and as much as that's encouraged it's going to take a long time, right? If you've got an established business that's got 20 years of legacy IT at any great scale, you can't mm. just flick a switch and it's there. You're talking, I don't know, five years, 10 years for that kind of journey to happen. Definitely. And the sort of firms that you have dealt with in your career, Paul, um, legal firms, I've spent a bit of time working with legal firms. They are a particular example of um, organizations that have a lot of legacy systems and processes mm. and plugins, and it's just not as easy as, right, we're going cloud. It's got to be planned very, very carefully and, and slowly, and it's going to be quite a long journey for them. Yep. Yep. Absolutely. Yeah, definitely. Mm. And firms of that type, definitely quite uh, risk and change averse, and understandably so, right? You know, they've got to be, uh, they've got to be very cautious. Yeah, they um, are very regulated industries. Um, yeah. So mm. compliance is a, is a big issue for them yeah but there's a hell of a lot in this pot for all of us though i mean i'm thinking back to when i first started specializing in office 365 as it was called then microsoft 365 now whatever they're calling it this week and um (laughs) (laughs) and and i used to describe myself as you know an it generalist throughout my career who now specializes in office 365 but you can't even say that anymore because people then say well what do you do do you do teams do you do security and compliance you do avd do you do um Power platform, which is massive, is there are so many opportunities for, um, for for IT professionals to to specialize in these different areas within the platform. So it's a great time to be involved in it. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. I mean, you you look at the 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 AVD, even even Microsoft trying to hard to pigeonhole where that sits because if you look at the roadmap, mm. it's on the M three six five roadmap, and yet it's called Azure Virtual Desktop. Yeah. But mm. it ties into like Intune, it will, you know, and it ties into yeah. Microsoft 365. And, you, you know, that the, the times you, you, you know, you, you can really get excited about, you know, one area and actually, you know, make that your, your niche, really. It's, it is a fantastic mm. time for, you know, people to kind of put their flag in the sand and say, you know, this is me. Yeah. One of the things I like to do as well is if you go on the, M365 maps by Aaron Dinage, you know, the kind of licensing guide. And you just go to the the Microsoft 365 E5 one and it shows you the whole shebang. And it's like, there is a lot to this thing, mm. especially when you consider that when we talk about Microsoft 365, mm. we're also kind of talking about everything to do with Windows, right? That kind of sits mm. within that. And then also the whole endpoint manager stack sits within there. And it's just... Like you said, you have to take your flag and say, this part of it is mine, right? And you can be yeah. a generalist about all of it, but there's no way mm. you could be a specialist in all of it. Yeah. No, not, not at all, yeah. no. And I didn't even mention messaging exchange. I mean, email. Yeah, blame oh, that, that, that was really the core of Office 365 when I first got into it. Was It was, at that time, it was really at its beginnings. It was Office 
um, applications in the cloud, the Office 365 Pro Plus and Exchange Online were the two things that sort of I started working with in it. Um, messaging ain't my favorite thing these days. I try and, <laughs> try and avoid it as, as best I can in, in favor of other things like Teams. And but well, uh, you're, you're spot on though, because messaging and you know Exchange slash Exchange Online that really was the gateway drug for. A lot of cloud stuff, right? For a lot of businesses. Mm -hmm. I mean, before Office 365, or even at the very embryonic stages of Office 365, a lot of businesses would have been like, nah, no way. Cloud stuff, putting my data in other folks' warehouses, forget about it. Mm -hmm. But then just because of how good and reliable O365 turned out to be, uh it yeah. just really it, it, it's really the genesis of all the change, quite frankly, mm -hmm. when you look at yeah. it. Yeah, it is most people's on ramp still, yeah. really, to, mm -hmm. to to the rest of it. I mean, obviously with pandemic teams has been a big driver mm. and then the kind of hybrid get exchange online hybrid to, to enable teams. Uh, and then, you know, people have kind of had that exchange 2010 end of life. Yep. They need to get 2016 hybrid. And that's, that's enabled that. Mm. Uh, so yeah, there's that, that has been a lot of people's on ramp, yeah. um, which is, you know, who, who now really would, run exchange you know not many people would run exchange mm. on-prem yeah. themselves unless they're using it just just as a management portal really mm. yeah yeah if you're greenfield and unless you have some very very niche requirement like air gapping and stuff like that you'd be kind of bonkers to you know start thinking okay well first thing we're going to do is we're going to set up on-prem exchange right uh like you said just because even just the security element of it you know Securing email is not easy, especially given the last year we've had, right? Ooh, absolutely. Um, so, yeah, no way. <laughs> no, no, I, no, I wouldn't want to be doing that these days. And thankfully, you don't get too many requests for it. You do occasionally get a few customers in the wild saying, we want Exchange 2019, and I'm, what? No. Yep. <laughs> but uh, anyhow, fun games. But um I want to talk a little bit about um, about about you more, Paul? Before we we, we wind things up, and uh, what, what what do you like to do in your spare time? What are your hobbies outside? I mean, everyone who comes on this show talks passionately about Microsoft three sixty five and Azure in some way, shape, or form. But what what are your other interests and things that you like to do in your spare time? I mean, I've got two kids, so mm. taxi is <laughs> really you know. One good thing about the pandemic is I've been able to take my daughter to school, so that's you know really great. Um, mm -hmm. Before you know it'd be oh, I've got to commute beforehand, you know, and then mm -hmm. get back in time. Um, but you know that's um, but you know most of the thing is 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 really DIY for decorating mm -hmm. and oh, kind of sure. building. You know, we bought a house kind of a couple of years ago, mm -hmm. and needed artwork, so that's that takes up a lot of time. Um, but in my spare time. I, I like to um, I like to grow veg. Oh wow! So, nice. Yeah, uh, veg and kind of of the allium. I like alliums, so you know onions, leeks, mm. but nice. I also like like uh, ornamental ones. So you know, there's big pom pom alliums. You know, the ornament, mm. ornamental sort of stuff. I love those sort of things. So a bit weird, but. No, it's cool. And do you find that it tastes better, not just because you put the time and effort into it, but like literally, does it taste better because it's fresher? And garlic, I grow a lot of garlic, and that that's certainly stronger than than what you'd normally buy in the shop. Um, 
this year has been a significantly good year for for, for crops um, purely because of the weather's been kind of warm but moist. Yeah. Um, so things have gone crazy this year. I think I'm sick of courgettes. Um, I've never grown courgettes. There are either nothing or there's there's tons of them and right. we've got absolutely yeah. tons of them this year. But they they're different to what you buy normally in the shop and obviously you normally buy just green courgettes and that's mm. about it. But there's all sorts of shapes and flavours and stuff that you get. You know, we've we've had kind of carrots and mm. um yeah, broccoli and just nice. yeah, it, this year's been just nuts. That's cool. Good. Yeah, we've always thought about having like a wee greenhouse outside, you know what I mean? Kind of grow that kind of stuff. Uh, yeah, interesting. I'll maybe hit you up. <laughs> get some advice. Send you pictures of my yeah, dying plants. It's it's really good to see, you know, you, you're kind of growing stuff. It's really good yeah. for your kind of mental well-being that, I'll you bet. know, it's, it, is, it, is, it is nice to see what you've produced and you think, oh, blooming heck, I've, I've done that. It's... Uh, it's a great achievement. So yeah, definitely, definitely. And do you have that in your garden, or have you got an allotment? How how do you grow stuff? Uh, luckily, I've got a big enough garden to to, to have raised beds. So yeah. Oh, cool. And, cool. Because um, allotments are like way popular these days, aren't they? Like more popular than ever. Loads of people I know seem to be getting allotments. Yeah, I used to have an allotment, but there are a lot of hard work. It's surprisingly mm. big amount of land that you kind of have to get and. As a, a new allotment owner, you you tend not to get the best plots. I so know. it's to get to get up and running. It is quite hard work. It, it is very rewarding. You know, you, you can you can almost feed your whole family from that size. I mean, that's what they were originally designed for. But yeah, yeah there's there's a it's it is hard work. Getting on top of the weeds is the, the hardest. Yep. Yeah, awesome yep. stuff. And from a DIY point of view, have you got any projects on the go at the minute? Anything interesting you're doing with the house or plans? So, yeah, I mean, during lockdown, I built and so I built the and the um, the bathroom. So from scratch, literally, I think every every wall in our house has been taken back to brick. Wow, plasterboard, <laughs> <Nice. laughs> plumbing, pretty much everything's from scratch. And uh, I'm, I'm luckily I've kind of started from the top and went all the way down. So the bedrooms are done, the bathroom is done, the lounge is done, the dining room is done. Now, mm. now it's the really expensive bits, but <laughs> it, it's kitchen and utility room, and that's that's going to be a bit bit more tricky and yeah, dare say a lot more expensive. Oh yeah, money, money, money! Yep. But uh, well done, though. Top stuff. And Rue and I are often chatting to each other that we are we are not of that mindset. <laughs> we, are, we we are not DIY handy people. And uh, so, if you ever consider doing it as a side hustle, <laughs> so let us know. And uh... yeah, a couple customers. <laughs> yeah, it's necessity more than more than pleasure. Yeah. <laughs> so I guess uh, to wrap up the show here, uh, we need to ask you the obligatory question every guest gets uh because i'll tell you one thing the ones that don't care about fruit and veg are cyberdyne systems and <laughs> the question is terminator one or terminator two which is the better film well for me obviously i was i kind of came at the right time for terminator two so i was kind of the same age as kind of 
Edward Furlong at the time, so and I was a bit rebel without a clue. Um, so for me, Terminator Two because it was yeah at the right time. Um, but nice. yeah, term, they're still you know they're both fantastic films in different ways. But mm. me, Terminator Two. No, right answer, right answer. Yeah, we haven't had a two yeah. in a while, have we? No, we haven't. No, it's getting a bit worrying. <laughs> it's just such a good movie. It's uh, well, we've spoken about it for like what twenty-one episodes now, <laughs> talking about how good a movie it is. So yeah, that's uh, yeah, yeah, right choice. You get back <laughs> on the show. You can come back. Absolutely. <laughs> <laughs> so I guess uh, you know, as far as uh, how folks can. Folks want to find more about AVD, WVD. Uh, how can folks find you online, places like Twitter, things like that? So from my Twitter, it's at Paul Tozer. It's quite nice and simple. Uh, I didn't put it in the thing for some no reason, but yeah, at Paul Tozer for, for, for Twitter. Um, and then most of my stuff, I, I use LinkedIn mostly as my professional profile. So okay. um, yeah, you should be easily be able to find me from from there it's a cartoony face of me you, you yeah. pretty much if you saw if you saw it you'd, you'd see me <laughs> there, Good so, stuff. yeah just yeah by all means connect on linkedin or following me on twitter lots oh, of posts around as your virtual desktop yeah, um, yeah you do share a lot on there which is always uh, good to see because uh, i learn a lot from you and uh, learn a lot from you today so th- yep. thank you very much for giving us your time um, on what is a Sunday as we record this. Um, so it's much yep. appreciated. It's great to catch up with you again. We, we've not spoken in a while, so it's good to catch up and have a, a chat anyway. And yeah. um, so appreciate it. Thank you so much. Um, so let's let's put this episode to bed, eh, Rue? Let's, uh... Yeah, absolutely. Let's go. So let's see if I can remember this time. So what do we want you to do? What do we want you to do? <laughs> let's see. Uh, like the video. Subscribe on YouTube. Subscribe to us on Anchor, Spotify, Apple Podcasts, everywhere you can get us. Uh, give us a thumbs up if possible and retweet and all that kind of stuff. Help spread the news about the show and give us feedback. You know, let us know what kind of mm. topics you're interested in, what guests you'd like us to have on, and we'll uh, do our best to try and manipulate them and blackmail them into coming on the show. Yeah. That's how we got Paul. <laughs> Absolutely. <laughs> yeah. Is there anything different you'd like to see? Is uh... Absolutely. Let us know. Let us know. We are very open to feedback. Yep. Cool. Okay. Well, we'll sign off for episode 21. Thanks everyone for listening. Peter, Paul, cheers. I'll see you down the road. Catch you later. Take care. Bye. Bye.